Has listening to internet radio caused the broadcasting bug to start to get hold of you? For users of Freedom Scientific's Jaws for Windows, broadcasting when you're blind is easy, accessible and fun. And the same software many internet broadcasters are using is also being used in many terrestrial radio stations. So, learn the ropes, fine-tune your craft, and who knows what the future might hold. Broadcast It is a comprehensive guide to the station playlist suite of products. Join Brian Hartgen and me, Jonathan Mosen, as we take you through a comprehensive tour that includes how the software works and lets you benefit from our extensive experience in the field. You'll be up, running and on the air in no time with Broadcast It. And if you don't yet have the station playlist scripts for JAWS, there's a special discount if you order them at the same time. Visit the Mosin Consulting Store at mosin.org for more details about Broadcast It. Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosin. It's wonderful to be here. It's certainly a thrill. Yet do you realise we're coming up to the 50th anniversary of the release of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band that'll be coming up in June? Amazing. That'll be something for Beatles fans to celebrate. But in the meantime, I'm going to be talking in just a moment with a panel of blind parents. We are going to discuss a wide range of issues about parenting when you're blind and our panellists all come at this topic from various perspectives. You can learn more about that in just a moment. Just a programming note that The Blind Side next week is going to be all about the Windows 10 Creators Update. On the 11th of April, Microsoft is going to start rolling out the Windows 10 Creators Update. And unlike, say, Apple, which rolls everything out at the same time for all eligible users, Microsoft will be rolling this out gradually. So If you don't get the update straight away, hang tight. It will come your way in due course. And we're going to be comprehensively covering all that is new in the Windows 10 Creators Update in next week's edition of The Blind Side. Since we have such a long podcast already, I won't read too much email, but I do thank you for it. Theblindside at Mosin.org is the email address. That's theblindside at Mosin.org. I want to pick up something that Joyce Feinberg said to me in an email. Hello, Joyce. She said that somebody told her about the interview that we did with Sue Martin. So that's how she found out about The Blind Side. And once she heard that interview, she had to go back and listen to all the others. Goodness me, that will have kept you busy for a while, Joyce. It's great to have you listening to The Blind Side, and I hope that you will spread the word. Now, she raises something quite topical. We advertise on this podcast a very good service called HMA VPN. And recently in the United States, some legislation has been passed which allows Internet service providers to sell your browsing history so they can potentially pass on to third parties where you have been, where you're visiting. I have to say there may be a little bit of hyperbole about this because generally what companies are more interested in is what they call big data. So not so much who you as an individual visit, but how many people visit certain sites in the aggregate. Nevertheless, it is a concern for many people who value their privacy. And if that's you, then as Joyce points out in her email, she's heard that a VPN can be the answer. And it certainly is. So let me go into sponsor mode for a moment and remind you that HMA VPN is a way to protect your privacy in this situation. Joyce wants to know how it does that. How it does it is that when you connect to a virtual private network, in this case HMA VPN, all the traffic 
is encrypted between you and that virtual private network. That means that your internet service provider has no way of determining what websites you're visiting. And HMA VPN has made it very clear that they value your privacy and that they are not keeping track of where you are going and they don't intend to pass on your information to anyone. To find out more, head on over to mosin.org slash HMA. That's mosin.org slash HMA. Our place, our issues. The Blind Side with Jonathan Mosin. Of all the jobs I've had over the years, none has been as challenging, rewarding or important as being a dad to my four precious children. There are many factors that influence the dynamics of any household. Just what impact does blindness have on the way a child is parented? There's probably as many answers to that question as there are blind parents. But I've assembled a panel offering a range of perspectives on blind parenting from several countries. Maggie Rush in New Zealand is a mother to a sighted son who's all grown up now. I remember when he was just a little one and her husband is also blind. So Maggie, it's great to have you with us. Welcome. Thank you, Jonathan. Erica Mosley is in the United States. She has a seven-year-old daughter and her husband is sighted and she also co-founded the Blind Parenting Alliance, which is an international support group. They meet via Facebook and it helps blind people support one another. We'll talk a bit about that a little bit later, but welcome to the podcast, Erica. Appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. And James Manders is in Australia and he lost the majority of his sight due to retinitis pigmentosa when he was already a parent. And as for me, oh, welcome, James. Good to have you here. Thanks very much. And as for me, I'm a dad who's been totally blind from birth and have experienced parenting with my kid's mum, who was sighted, and after we divorced, have experienced the difference that parenting as two blind parents can make. So let's begin at the beginning, and I'll start with you, Erica, if I can. Did you ever consider not having children, and did any of your family question your ability to be a mum because you were blind? I've never considered not being a mom. I've always, it's something I've always wanted to do. Of course, there were some people who were questioning how I would, you know, do that. But as as being blind, um, the majority of my life, I just took it on as another, you know, tackled it as it came, you know, the issues as they came up. Um, So, yeah. I did have a couple of naysayers, but um, I kind of overcame all of those uh, questions that they had. I, I kind of just kept going and fighting. And, you know, <laughs> um, I kind of initially felt alone, which is why I created Blind Parent Alliance. But I felt alone because I didn't know any other young blind parents in my area. And, um, so that I, I had to figure out how I would change her or feed her or everything. But it was hard finding the support out there. And um, so, yeah, to answer your question, though, I, I always wanted to be a mom. And those naysayers, did you win them over eventually? Have they come to you subsequently yeah, yes. and said, yeah, you are a great mom? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. What about you, Maggie? How was it for you when you decided to have um, a family? And I always wanted kids, right? before I ever met my husband and um, my oldest sister and one of my brothers were here for dinner one night and I said something about planning to have a baby and all hell broke loose 
and I was not quite expecting it. And because my sister, who was closest to me in age, she she was quite cool with it. I mean, she'd given me baby clothes anyway, even before I met Trevor. And um, they were like, oh, how are you going to manage? And, you know, what if it cuts itself? How are you going to know where the cut is? And all this sort of stuff. And because my blindness is hereditary, my brother pointed out that my baby might have bandages on its eyes for the first seven years of its life because I'd had a lot of surgery, but it wasn't for the first seven years of my life. It was a gross exaggeration. It left me very hurt and upset that night. Um, And I thought, no, to hell with it. I'm going to still have my family. And we only managed the one, but... um, Neil was unfortunately born with congenital cataracts like me. He is <clears throat> not fully sighted. Um, technically, he's got driving vision, but he's got some faulty visual fields and really bad nystagmus, so he won't be able to drive. Um, and his right eye has got very limited vision, um, not very usable vision. But it hasn't stopped him doing his work. And, yeah, Trevor and I are very proud parents. And it was worth the fight. And I remember when I told my oldest sister that I was pregnant, she goes, she said to me, oh, well, you've got what you wanted. Not congratulations um, or anything. No, no, not yeah. congratulations, but yeah. you got what you wanted. My other sister was, like, really supportive. My parents were – they were supportive, but they just weren't so excited, I suppose, at first. And because my dad had congenital cataracts as well, um, <clears throat> he had – surgeries he could read large print till he was 50 my specialist messed up my eyes and I lost what vision I had by the time I was 14 and my dad was really afraid that if the baby was born with cataracts they'd operate on the wrong eye and so he was more anxious um he wasn't against me having a child but he was he was anxious and I was, that was understandable and when Neil was born we were told his eyes were fine and I believed that for the first five weeks of his life and then we got told no sorry he's got cataracts they're very dense they're gonna have to be removed and seeing your six-week-old baby go into a surgery was a bit frightening, I have to say. Mm. Um, but, yeah, we got a lot of support. Um, and even my older sister, she sort of eventually came around. And, um, yeah, it was it was interesting. But, yeah, the, most of the the things against us having kids came from family, not, not friends. Right. So you had the double dilemma then of being a blind couple who were deciding to have a family and people questioning your ability to do that, but also the question of should you knowingly bring another life into the yep. world when there's a possibility that they may be blind or significantly vision impaired? Yeah. yeah. And I made that decision because if it hadn't been a treatable condition or it had been something that was far more serious – there's, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have done it, but I knew it was treatable, and I knew he could still have a good life. Um, so yeah, we decided yeah we wanted we wanted this kitty, and I was 34 when Neil was born, and my husband was 45, so we were late starters, um, and we would like to have had a second one, but that just didn't happen. And yeah, now Neil is a um, network engineer for an IT company, fairly well, well maybe well known, I'm not sure, um, and yeah, he's doing his work really well. Because he's got enough vision that it does not affect the job that he's doing. Well done. I found and he's just turned twenty-one, so very good. I found quite a high incidence of people in the medical profession having difficulty mm-hmm. accepting that blind people are capable. What was your experience like, Erica, with the professionals as you prepared for <laughs> your baby's arrival? My uh, medical professionals—they were okay with it. My one 
and the only issue that I've ever had came from, um, I'm not sure if you all are familiar with WIC. So um, I was um, getting WIC and I went to my appointment. Unbeknownst to me, uh, the WIC lady contacted another agency without my permission. And I guess she told her that I was blind and that I was pregnant. Um, so a couple of days later, after I c- come from the WIC office, I get a phone call, and it's from um, a home nurse of some sort. And she's like, um, I got your information from, I, I would never forget it, Betty at the WIC office or some sort or something like that. And I'm like, okay, for, <laughs> and she's like, well, what we do is we come out and make sure you're prepared to be a parent. And I'm like, I've never heard of anyone else getting this offer to them. Is there a reason why um, she contacted you and shared my personal information without my permission? And she's like, um, well, according to her, you're blind. And we have a couple of, she had a couple of concerns um, about you, you know, being able to care for your child. I'm like, okay, well, you can come out to my home if you would like. Um, I know a lot of people who, you know, now when I tell them that story, they're like, well, I would have just told her, no, I don't need your services. But no, when I'm, when I, I've always been the type of person who wants to tackle things head on. So it's like, okay, you have these concerns. Let me lay your fears to rest. So I was like, okay, you can come out. And she came out, and she's like, oh, well, wow, I don't know why I'm here. And I'm just like, me either. So that nice went okay you. for you then, the fact that they did yes. come out and, and they did have a look. It doesn't always go that well, and we'll, we'll come it back to that. Not. Yeah, we'll come back to that in a minute. What about you, Maggie? What was your prenatal oh, care like? My, <clears throat> my prenatal care was brilliant. Um, I got my own midwife from when I was about six weeks, and she was a lovely lady from Northumbria, with an accent that you could cut with a knife, it was so. <laughs> but she was she was a very awesome lady, and my blindness wasn't even an issue with her. And even when I was going to the hospital visits, one of the um, doctors I saw there, she just said to me, "Have you got a good support network in place?" And I said, "Yeah, that's not a problem." And my own GP was right behind me. I just yeah, it was brilliant. And even when Neil was born, my midwife was a bit reluctant to hand me over to Plunkett which is an agency here that take care of babies and check their weights and heights and all that. And because she didn't want them undermining my confidence that I'd built up in the first few weeks. We were quite proactive in in the case of Amanda and me, and we had a birthing plan because we didn't want to get into a situation where we felt that my blindness was becoming an issue in the delivery room when I wanted to be there and be supportive and we didn't want to be fighting advocacy battles. So we wrote out a birthing plan and we said, you know, this is the role that Jonathan will play and he'll be the birthing coach and he'll be there every step of the way. And I did actually get to cut the umbilical cords all four times when our children were born and stuff like that. So we, we also had a very, very good positive experiences. And I have to say, it's the most miraculous thing. When each of them was born, I just mm. cried my heart out. It was just the most amazing. So did I. <laughs> Were you there for the birth of your children, James? Yes, I was. Um, we were living in the, uh, in the US and, uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was a great experience and it was, again, going through the whole process. You know, it was 
an Australians living in the US were, you know, it was due to be born on July 4th. I guess that's a great way to sort of celebrate. Uh, yeah. That, uh, <laughs> overlooking the uh, the Charles in Boston, Charles River in Boston. But, um, yeah, no, we it, it, was, it was a fantastic and it was very supportive staff. You know, they knew that I had uh, – I guess my vision at that time was – it was good. It was okay. Uh, I, I'm in what's called the transformational space, or I call that the transformational space. So moving from normal, normal sighted to restricted sight. But just if I could just go back to the, the point of um, previous questions where, you know, medical advice and family support, I guess, you know, my wife, when we were sort of courting and, and all that, she was very much deliberating, well, this is going to be an issue downstream, you know, that, you know, I need to consider. And it's just like, you know, anything, any relationship, you know, you, you think ahead, you imagine things and, and, and we, and, you know, we went for it. Then, um, you know, we did seek out uh, counsel in terms of we were living in London before we were living in Boston and to seek out, you know, a, an expert like Professor Bird at Moorfields Eye Hospital. And he was like, look, we could go to all sorts of genetic testing. And this is back in 2002, all sorts of genetic testing or, we go with a very pragmatic approach. We just go into the natural odds. That is the chances of, you, of your offspring <clears throat> developing a, either being carriers of RP or Usher syndrome, which is a, the other, I guess, condition that I have, a genetic uh, malfunction, or, um, you know, go with the natural odds and they'd be carriers or they'd develop a condition. And that's, uh, you know, but he was very much of the mindset. And that's why I guess he was a bit of a rock star in, the, in that industry. The mindset of you just you love it, you love your child no matter what happens, and I think that's a very important thing. And it's uh, uh, it's 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 and it's uh, you know we tried to we have I guess shown that all the way through, and it's uh, yeah. It's, it's interesting you say that because my congenital condition is called Norrie's syndrome, and the way it works is that all things being equal, my children would be sighted whether they be boys or girls but the girls have a 50% chance of being carriers which means that they could mm. have um, blind sons and I'll never forget when Amanda and I were quite newly married and we went along to a special session where there was a genetic counsellor talking mm. and the genetic counsellor talked about a quote 50% risk unquote, of having a blind child in certain situations. And Amanda actually got up. I was very proud of her. She got up and actually stopped this woman in, in mid-flight and said, I find it very offensive that you are talking about a, quote, risk of having mm. a blind uh, child. I, would, would you talk about a risk of having a girl or a risk of having a boy? There's a chance yeah. of having a blind child, and the term risk is very loaded. And this mm -hmm. is a sighted woman getting up there and t you know, putting this genetic counsellor mm. in That's her true, place. Yep. I was very, very proud of that. Yeah. And so it was also a decision I, yeah. we had to make. I, 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 if, I could just add, if I could just add, sorry, Erica, if I could just uh, want one thing which I found, I guess, trans transitioning, where it, it, it's it's for people who have sighted and, and therefore care and, you know, it's misguided, you know, care and love and everything else. But it's, uh, it's yes, it's, it's, it's their um, way in dealing with things is, as I said, misguided and it can be offensive, mm. like you just said. And that's something that we need to, it while it might sting us or hurt us when that's said, but we just need to say it's my choice, mm. it's my 
it's my right. Okay. So you right. need to fully support me in that. And if you think you're very strongly, feel very strongly about it, and you are calling it a risk, um, I don't, that was a medical practitioner, but if it's a family member or a friend, then it's a, it's a well, that's, this is where we, we differ, and we have a right to differ, and off we go. And I, I just wanted to go ahead and say that I have Rikers, and so that was an um, issue that I was faced with as well, because um, it was a 50 cent, 50% chance that my daughter could have been born visually impaired. I just took it. I, I was like, my, my thoughts were, if if I could do it, then she could do it, <laughs> you know. Um, but I did mention that to my husband. He was aware of that before we conceived. And so we did meet with the geneticist. It was something I was worried about, but I knew that we could handle it if she had been born visually impaired. I saw a geneticist when I was carrying Neil. My midwife asked if I wanted just to get some information. And right. I saw this lovely woman and, you know, she, she talked to me and she saw, because before I got married, I had an eye injury and I happened to just ask one of the ophthalmologists what my chances were of having a child with a vision impairment. Oh, there's a 91% chance, he said. So I told this geneticist and she said, we don't even talk like that in genetics. It's a 50% right. chance. <laughs> and I said, and he left me feeling like I shouldn't even have a child. You know, his attitude was so, you know, and it was just that one off. And she said to me, don't let anyone tell you you can't have a baby. Mm. And she was so right. supportive. It was just absolutely brilliant. I got into a lot of flack when I wrote a uh, – I, I was on an interview. I think it was in your neck of the woods, actually, James, on one of the um, one of the RPH stations. And I happened just right. to mention in passing that there's a chance that I may have blind grandchildren and that I was actually quite excited about this because I've never had a blind child. And I kind of think, you know, if there was a, a blind grandchild that I could – do fun audio things with and, you know, teach them Braille and tricks of the trade yep. that I've learned as a blind person, I'd find that rather cool. And, um, yeah. but, but, you know, I got, uh, I got, I got quite a bit of flack from people who said, you know, how rude to wish having a blind grandchild, but I don't perceive blindness as a negative thing. It's just another characteristic. Um, yeah, so. It's just how we happen to be. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think it's the, uh, I think it's important that, you know, we have rights. Right, and uh, you know every country has their way of doing it, but yeah, people start to impose their moral authority on others and and, and guidance. It's it, for me, and this is not in a religious sense, but it's it's it, it is. Uh, I think that people need to be you know careful what they say, and I think it's like you said, Jonathan. With you know, if you have you know, kids that develop a condition or grandkids or whatever, you know what? That's a shared experience, mm. and. Yeah, um, and that's the most important thing. And no one can take that away. In fact, I think that enhances the bonds further. Um, you know, people with low vision have to, or blindness, have to you know, work three, four times as hard as everyone just to get through the day, right? And, um, you know, and I'm, a, I'm also a, an employment, a, what I call an ability employment advocate, which basically saying, you know, you can be a lawyer, you can be an engineer as uh, as Maggie's son is, you can do whatever. Um, you just unfortunately can't drive cars or put, do things put you into into dangerous situations. But, um, you know, I had a really heavy sports influence when I was growing up and, uh, you know, it, just for my own confidence to lose that ability to play the sports that I like and 
uh, Maggie, you'll be happy with this. I took up rugby at the age of 17 and um, uh, I've lived in the front row ever since. So I, I just, you know, it oh, doesn't Oh, my son stop. hates sports. It's one thing he doesn't do. Uh, go, well, that's go, go the mighty all blacks. He's not into uh, sports. Exactly, yeah, no. and, and it's play rugby, and you don't uh, yeah. necessarily need a lot of sight to do that. And, yeah, uh, yeah. They say front rowers don't have many brains as well, but it's um, it, it's it's you just got to do it. You just it, it, this cotton mm. wooling of people by other people who who really don't yeah. understand is is mm. is unfortunately has many knock on effects, and I think that's something that we need to sort of say no, well, no I'm fine. Thanks very much. Yeah. When your baby came along. Erica, was being a parent of a newborn about what you were expecting or were there aspects that were more difficult than you'd anticipated? I kind of anticipated <laughs> that there were going to be. So, like like I said, um, towards the end, I started getting a little nervous because I had babysat kids that were like two, four, but never an infant for a long you know, for a long time. So I had no idea how I was going to change a diaper, how I was going to, um, without getting messed everywhere, or how I was going to feed her without, um, you know, you know, just the, the typical things that as blind parents we are faced with. And so it was about, I would say, what I expected. Um, I did get online and I was able to find a parenting board and I reached out and I was like, if anybody has any tips or tricks, please let me know. And, um, that's how Brandy and I were first connected. She Hmm. was a a mom. Um, she had a newborn and she had already had a two year old. So she gave me some pointers and I promise you all that it would, I was so thankful for everything. It was like, okay, I can do this. So what about rehab agencies? Were you not able to get assistance from local state rehab or something to do with um, those? They did not. Yeah. Here in Virginia, they did not offer any services for blind parents. That was my struggle. Mm. That was my struggle. That's really They they did not offer. And I had a lady, she, um, one of my friend's mom is visually impaired but she's like um older and therefore she didn't know much about the new products that they had available you know um i had my daughter in 2009 and so for someone who has kids and born in the 80s versus 2009 you all know there are tons and tons of different products and ways of doing things so when i say i kind of just felt alone in that part, I had the support. I had my family. I had my, you know, close friends, my husband, but none of them were visually impaired and could offer tips and trips, tricks, you know, from a blind perspective. And it would be even different for you again, Maggie, because you're in a um, a couple where both parents are blind. How was it for you? Yeah. Did you have to develop some strategies to check things um, like rashes <laughs> or you know, yeah, yeah. visual I mean, things? Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, it was a whole learning curve, one that I really actually enjoyed um, and made me feel more confident as a person too. Um, and while I was pregnant, my midwife actually phoned the foundation, um, the Blind Foundation, and asked was there a support, you know, any support for blind parents, and she was really absolutely horrified that there wasn't. Fortunately, I had a blind friend who was also a parent 
So I got lots of tips from her and, and um, that was really helpful. And things like baby, you know, people said, oh, how do you know if he's got baby nappy rash? I said, because you can feel it. Yes. You know, you clean your baby yeah. and you can feel it. It's hot and yeah. it's rough and you can feel it. And it was just something you pick up and you learn. And I think with the, with the changing the, the nappy thing, Erica, I think most parents are really scared they're going to make a mess. And I think that's just a new parent thing. Yep. As much as it yep. is a blind thing, it's just a lot of our my fears were just of being a parent. Can I so, ask both of you? Yeah, so can I ask both of you? That's the, I guess it's the general nature, because I guess as, as people with low vision, I don't know, do we feel that we're more needier or we sort of have, I guess, less confidence? And but, but if anything, it's just, it's intuition, like, and preparation, like everything else, you know, even for people who don't have low vision, yeah. so. I felt I had to prove myself, and I got really tired of doing that. Right, yep. You know, right, thought, no, and so you just, just kind of no, just go with yep. the flow, find things that yep. work for you. I thought, no, why should yep. I, I it, for the, it took me months, and, like, my my husband's sister would bring around her granddaughter, and I'd be feeding him, and they'd all be grouped around the high chair, so he'd get distracted, and I'd be trying to feed him, and then they'd say, oh, can I feed him? I'm like, no, I'll do it, you know. But I really felt like I was on the show. Yeah. And I right, I really right. resented it. But later on, I thought, no, why should I just prove myself? Why do, you know, why do people think I have to prove myself? It didn't take long to get to that point for me. I was just like, okay, well, this is what I'm finding that's working for me, so let me just do it this way. Yeah. And I kind of yeah. just started doing what I, I felt was best. Yeah. yeah, good for you. I'll tell you what, for me at least, the toddler years, when the kids were mobile but still learning <laughs> oh, yeah. speech and reason, they were the most challenging, you know. And if the kids oh. were quiet for too long, you usually knew they were up to no good yeah, and, you know, they'd be drawing yes, on a wall exactly or something like that. Um, how did you – perhaps I can start with uh, with you on this one, Maggie. How did you cope with the toddler years and just well, the little monkey see, phase where they're just it, into everything? Yeah, oh, you just – you have to be on the ball. Um, and like you said, if they're quiet, you know it's time to go investigating and see what they're up to. <laughs> and a sighted person said to me, how do you know? I said, well, you know, when you're busy in your kitchen, your toddler's playing in the lounge, and you know they're mm-hmm. up to you know that because you can't hear them. You know, you rely on, I think sighted parents rely on their sense of hearing way more than they actually realise. When we were home, I put, I used to get slippers with little bells on them for Neil. <laughs> um, which, and they were just, you know, readily available in the stores. And fortunately, he was a talker. And, and even though he couldn't understand, it sounded like he was speaking a totally different language. But, yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I communicated with him a lot. I talked to him a lot. And, yeah, he was mostly, I mean, I was actually really lucky, I have to say. He was a pretty good kid. I mean, yeah, it doesn't mean he didn't get into mischief, which he did. He poured flour all over his little table in my lounge and it went all over the floor. <laughs> and I had just vacuumed that morning. You know, so it doesn't it like, stop. I'll go and it put you in your cot while I clean up. <laughs> it doesn't It doesn't stop when they're 11 or 8, so as my boys are. Yeah. I wish I could put a bell oh. on them too. Well, I don't know, even when they're 21, you still worry about them. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because when my oldest was born, I was working in the government relations field and I was spending a lot of time with very senior politicians from the Prime Minister of New Zealand down. Oh, yes. And I remember 
coming to a meeting full of politicians, very sleep deprived, because I was the one that would get up in the night and sort of rock my kids and sing to them because I seemed to be able to get them off to sleep. And I, I went in and I said, look, if I'm if I'm even more out of it than normal, I apologize. But my daughter's kept me up all night. And one of the politicians said, how old is your daughter? And I said, six weeks old. And he said, that's okay. My daughter kept me up half the night as well. And she's 18. Yeah. <laughs> You never stop worrying about them. But, you know, people also say, oh, you, you know, my child, you know, your child will miss out on so much. Well, yeah, okay, there were things that he could go to because we couldn't get a ride or whatever. But when I was a kid, there were things I couldn't go to either for different yeah. reasons. That's and, true. you know, people say, like, oh, you get your kids to do stuff. No, he's not my helper. But all kids grow up having to do some chore or another. Maybe our chores are just a little bit different. Yeah, I, I call true. that sighted people arrogance, right? They think that they, mm-hmm. they yeah. know better, and it's not true. So it's, it's, if anything, the relationship with our kids is a lot stronger because we, 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 we work through an issue, we work through yep. a problem, we, and it's every day, and it's it's a teamwork, right? And if yeah, anything, and sometimes the, sometimes they will go through a resentment stage, but it's, it's a stage, mm. and I think all kids do that to yeah, all exactly. parents. Exactly. What was the toddler era like for you, Erica? Oh, very similar to her. Yeah. <laughs> See you all. My daughter is active right now. She's doing tumbling in my living room as I am doing this call. She's in <laughs> gymnastics, and so she's seven now, but um, that's just to tell you all how active she is. And so mm. she was quiet. We knew she was doing something that she shouldn't have been doing. I'll give you a, a a funny example to me it was funny uh so um just like you said she did the flower thing so my daughter is like two and i worked from home and therefore i was on the phone doing customer service calls and i'm like um carrie what are you doing and she's like nothing just playing she's two years old she's going from my living room to the kitchen from my living room to the kitchen i'm like what are you doing? What, what? How are you playing? What is going on? So I stand up. I got, I got to a point where I could take a break. I stood up, and what did I do? I stepped in a pile. Something's in my living room floor, and I had carpet. It's like, what is this? I'm building a, a sand castle. Just getting flour and coffee grains out of my kitchen, out of my kitchen trash can, and putting it on the floor. And I'm like, are you serious? And so I'm like, what? So yeah, that that is my. Oh gosh, I couldn't believe it. That's about the, the, the reality of in my living room. The only mess I didn't, the only mess I didn't get was when I was looking after one of my kids and um, full full time while their mum was doing something else out out, and um, when she came back, she found that one of my kids had drawn all over the wallpaper uh, in their room, and I didn't pick that one up. I must confess. So no, rest. that one you don't pick up. Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't growl at Neil over the flower because when he went going to play centre, on the play doh table they'd always put a pile of flour so that they could, you know, spread it play and, and the... so to him that was okay. I couldn't growl at him. I just yep. said to him, No, I'll put you up in your cot while while mummy cleans up this mess. Right. You know, because sort of the center of stairs yeah, it was a really while I had to clean thing. it. Yeah. Can I talk about acceptance? by other parents because you get to the point where you want to join play groups or mornings for mums who have coffee and that kind of stuff 
How well were you accepted by other parents, Erica? I guess for me it was like I said, I had a lot of friends I um who had kids already. So for me I guess I just kind of connected with them. Um my two best friends, one has four kids, one has five, so <laughs> there are always kids around so, you know, we were already friends before I had a kid and mm. so it just integrated into Okay. So I kind of felt accepted. I've never felt. Now, I think now that she's in school, I kind of feel a little nervous. I will admit to that when she wants to, like, do sleepovers or um, have people come over. I kind of get a little anxious. I'm like, are their moms going to accept me, you know, being visually impaired? I didn't, ex- you know, when I was when she was a baby, that wasn't an issue. But now... I find myself getting a little nervous, but most of the time that I'm not having any issues yet. And so, yeah, I must say that's something I have never had. We, my my kids are very social, and we've had lots of friends over. Uh, you know, and it's a different thing, I guess, when you're maybe living with a sighted spouse. But even yeah. now that we're in a two blind parent, you know, they've, they've got a blind stepmom. Even then, it's not. We've been very fortunate, and um, their their friends' parents have always been very accepting. It was a bit of a mixed bag for me um, because I didn't know a lot of people around the area. I'd, I'd lived in a different area of the city up until I got married and I only made a couple of friends out this way. It was just a whole different community. And then I went to the play centre with Neil and a few of the parents were great. They were really, you know, totally accepting and, and just, you know, that was cool. Um, and they did things, they wanted to make things, like they they took me to their play centre shop to choose some tactile jigsaws so I could work with them with Neil and with other kids, um, which I thought was really cool. Um, and the same when he went to kindergarten, it was, what can we do to make it easy for you, you know, which was really good. But um, some of the parents were a little bit unsure, I think. And then when he got to school, yeah, there were a couple of parents who I got on really well with, but out of the whole school. Um, parent-wise, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that great. And Neil, Neil isn't what I'd call a terribly sociable person. Social person, he he is sociable, but he's not social. He's kept very few friends, and he, yeah, he just doesn't have that much of a social life, which bothers me at times. But there's nothing really I can do about it now. He's 21, um, you know. But he went into scouts, and the parents there were pretty good. Hmm. Um, yeah, that was good. That was, and that really brought him out of his shell a bit. Yeah, he got to be a patrol leader and all this sort of stuff, and and you know he went on camp. He did that was good because he went on camps and did things that we couldn't do with him. You know, and he went gliding out at out at Ardmore, which there's no way I could have afforded to get got him there. And yeah, he's got some really cool experiences from scouting. Well, we're all great talkers on this uh, discussion, and I know that James, you are under some time constraints, and I don't want to lose track of your story, which is a very important perspective. It's a very different experience for you, I would imagine, because when one has vision, it's only natural to make full use of it. And it's a very dominant sense. So when you no longer have a lot of usable vision, that is a huge thing. Can you tell me a little bit about your transitional experience and the impact that it's had on you and also on your relationship with your kids as a parent? Absolutely. So I guess the, the best way to describe it is like a timeline. So as I grew up, obviously I was you know, playing tennis and cricket and doing it all the all the you know f- football and all the things that we would do. Uh, so that's so that sort of 
and again, sport was my just number one focus until I guess in my teenagers, I had years I had to start using my brain, obviously for <laughs> for work and think, okay, I got to do something else here. Um, so in the twenties and thirties, I was playing rugby, and it was, again, sport was a big part of it. Very passionate about it, and so then when uh, Ollie Oliver came along. Uh, he was born in 05, he's now 11. Uh, he was really, he shared that same sports passion, which I just couldn't, you know, we named him after a former rugby player. Um, but we, we we shared that same passion and uh, it was our connection, you know, we'd sit and watch TV and watch the sport and whatever and then try and go and do what we can out the, back, out, out the backyard. So then I guess seven, eight nine you know vision was starting to impact i was coaching the kids and i was obviously not playing anymore and you know i was starting to sort of uh, normal people would say reckless i think because i was just doing or not seeing things that uh, i just wouldn't normally do and um it started to put sort of a pressure on him okay it's like oh dear dad is you know his, his eyesight's not working and, you know, he's he's mindful of the fact of trying to keep up my confidence and what I really enjoy. And uh, so then as we sort of morph into, you know, uh, now uh, he's 11, I I'm, I'm can't coach the kids anymore. Again, I thought I was a reasonable coach. Uh, you know, I did all these rugby coaching courses and stuff. Um, and again, real sort of uh, energy to, to why with Grant, the game that I love was, is so important. And then, you know, I can't coach and want to. And when you see someone, you know, with the limited vision you have who's perhaps not doing, the, you know, a better way, you want to show them a better way. And it's kind of like, well, what do you know? And, um, uh, but, 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 but he, you know, it's now we sort of, we, we sat down and talked about it. And again, teamwork environment, thinking about what's the best way to approach this. Said, Dad, look, I know you love this, but, you know, don't, please don't <laughs> referee a game or please don't. You know, it's just it's just it's difficult for me. So you need to understand his feelings rather than trying to run rough shot over them. I think now where I think we found a happy medium is that I now uh, you know run a you know, lead a, a rug, small rugby club and you know as as the president and again it's my ability as a try and get a, a man people manager and get people involved in, in a voluntary basis and we all have to share the same ethos and. And, and again, I would now walk around the pitch with a white cane, and you know I'm kind of out and proud uh, to put it in that context. And it's it, people are accepting, you know. And again, 99% of what you of people that you meet are, are great, you know. I think it's just it's like your personality, you know. People don't like it. people with other personalities, and that's their choice. And it's the same same with people with vision impaired. But the frustration carries over into the backyard scenario with Ollie and, and Nate, the eight-year-old, is that I can't be as engaged as I'd like, you know, throw the ball at them or catch the ball or things like that. They can they can throw the ball at me and I'll try and, you know, work to, to catch, you know, work on the reflexes and things like that. But, yes, I can't go down to the cricket nets, I can't go down to uh, the batting cage or I can't go down to the, to the rugby post and say, okay, kick a ball as far as you can and, but I can still work through the basics of, of what they need to do just by tuition and feel and things like that. So you get it, it, it challenges you. It does make it awkward and it does uh, can, can, can cause a difference in conflict. And I think it's, it's, it has manifested itself in terms of, I guess, a higher level anxiety for the kids. You say and that it challenges you and I guess that's a 
fairly positive or, or maybe a neutral word, does it also still upset you that this change is taking place? Yes, hugely, because it's interaction with kids and sport is so critical to who I am. And, uh, you know, I, my dad was was always working very, you know, very hard for, him, for his own business and, you know, he was, he was away a lot and I got frustrated because I wanted my dad to, to do this and that and so I, I, I made a promise to myself I'm not going to do that to my son. And so when the time came that I can't, uh, you know, I can I guess still do most things, but I can't um, focus on the on the skills that he wants to focus on because I just can't obviously complete the task. That I, I get really annoyed and angry at myself, and so unfortunately, the byproduct of that is you do kind of take it out on on the, on on them, not in a physical way, but just in a mood sense and and everything else. So that's 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 my big issue. And, and it's insidious, that, uh, isn't it? I mean, th- this sort of sight loss correct. is insidious because something that you might have been able to do you know, two or three months ago, you suddenly find it's hard to do now. Correct, mm. correct. And, uh, you know, it's limited. We can't go to, you know, he wants to go and see a game. We can't just jump in a car. We've got to kind of organise with my wife and, and say, okay, we've got to go here. We've got to do that. You know, I want to, you know, do these things. So it is limiting in that. But But again... It's it's I I, I got to go that glass half full mantra. You just got to just yes, it takes a little little bit of extra planning, a little bit of extra thought as to what to do, and because then you're like, yeah, job done. So you know, if if it is two or three times harder than normally it would be, but job done. Um, but uh, you know, we're a one car household because I can't drive. So and uh, we, even though we live in the suburbs, but um, it's just not as easy as to get around. So we just need to be mindful we need it's give and take some things i can do a lot of some things i can't do and that's life right how do you feel that's affecting them yeah we we, we the anxiety is i think one one issue you know again they, they want to do more you know again i guess it's, it's just they, they can't do it, so they're expressing themselves in different ways and and when uh they really 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 want to do something i guess as any kid will do it's uh it's yeah, and, and you can't for the obvious reasons, then they, yeah, you do get re- re- overreactions from that. So we, we have to monitor the anxiety because that, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it's clinical, but it's something that uh, I think is fairly common because it expresses themselves because they, 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 you know, normal kids, right? It's just they want to do things with other kids. They want to be part of, but when you can't do it for the obvious reason, uh, and it's not that you can't allow them, it's just can't. Do it. They, uh, they, the things can manifest. So I think that's something that, you know, um, something that every parent, not just people with vision issues or other disabilities, but every parent just needs to be mindful of the because the pressures on these kids is far, far, far greater than us because things are coming at them a lot more and a lot quickly than it did for us. And there has been a, a fundamental shift in I think how. You know, uh, these kids are exposed to, to, you know, just everyday life, you know, the media, digital devices, all that stuff. Things are coming at them a lot faster and uh, the, the other things can manifest itself. So when you have anxiety that you can't do it because you want to and really to the, to the state of, you know, high, um, I would say anger or whatever, but just, you know, just um, restlessness and things like that, it's just, yeah, 
just uh, it's something that I would sort of watch very closely, and we've sort of had to work at it, and you know, again, just to, to be as normal as possible. It may be a bit different because you have a, a spouse who is sighted, but I wonder whether you have consciously tried to take care not to become dependent in any way on your children so that the relationship inverts and they become the carer in some capacity or other. Well, it's it's and then that's and that's what's happened. So we and we've used the so-called caring aspect to our advantage. And when I say advantage in that we're doing things. So and I find that particularly for younger kids, my eleven year old is absolutely brilliant at this. It's like we'll go into an environment and he'll assess it. He'll he will go and say, can get you this and he will be my, you know, introducer. So they'll come over here, Dad, there's someone I think you should meet and really going out on a limb and it's just accelerated his willingness to engage and talk to people. And so it's it's and it's based on their personality. So uh, the eight year old again completely different. He'll walk with you and he'll just walk into a tree, and he's because he's <laughs> thinking about something else, and you know, and and so there's sort of maybe some harsh words, and he's apologetic and what have you. So again, I think it's personality based. The the caring thing again, it can go the opposite direction. Like I don't want to do it and run off, and that has happened. But I think for the most part, it's it's it really. A, rises increases their sensitivity and awareness of what's important not just for for you but for them because it 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 impacts on them in a positive way and that they can do more things so it's just flipping it on its head jonathan i think it's the the way to do it rather than sort of using as a barrier or hindrance or a a potential repercussion for something else so i think we've just got to use these things that to benefit us yeah, because undermining parental authority is a real danger, I think, when you're a blind parent because sometimes members of the public, sometimes professionals seek to do it. And you were telling me a story earlier, Maggie, about uh, just a random member of the public who wanted to convince your son your th- when he was three that he was taking care of you. Yes, um, I got... I was going in to meet some friends in Henderson, which is a suburb near where I live. And the bus was running extremely late. And so he decided to change the route. And when I got off, I was in a completely different place where I should have been and in a place that I wasn't familiar with. So he walked back and forth and I was trying to figure this out. And um, then I thought, well, I better ring my friend. Let her know, yeah, I am actually in Henderson, but I'm a wee bit lost and I'll be there soon. And this lady overheard my conversation. She said, oh, you're a bit lost. And I told her where I wanted to go. She said, oh, yes, it's over the road. She said, you, I don't know. She said, the bus dropped you in the wrong place. So that's right. We got over the road. And I had Neil. I always used to use um, a harness with him, which went around his body. And I had a rein, which went around my wrist and met with mm-hmm. different views on that one. But anyway, and I was walking along with him. And she said to him, are you helping mummy? Hmm. And I said, he's three years old. I would hardly rely on him to help me, and especially in a really busy area like that. Um, you know, and I, and I just said, oh, and I said it, said it quietly to Neil because, you know, little kids, they like to think they're helping mummy or daddy. Mm. You know, it's just, and that's an any parent thing. And I said, we help each other, eh, Neil? You know, just quietly so she wouldn't hear it. But I thought, good grief, why would you think a three-year-old would be capable of helping me get around? 
Well, some people think that. I mean, some people do yeah, think do. that um, yeah, that, that do. blind Amazing. people have sighted children so that they can be breeding little carers for themselves. Yes, <laughs> yeah, or, the, or little guide dogs. And, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I really don't like that. Yeah, yeah I can, yeah, I, I, if I could try to draw us back to the, the, the notion of, I guess, it's misguided kindness, right? So people really care just in general nature. And, again, you're going to get the odd person who says, oh, you should do this, you should do that, and you just ignore them as they will with, you know, other parents mm-hmm. of, of your kids or other kids think they're better parents and they know better. So, yeah, it, it's, the problem is our sensitivity and alertness is so heightened, so therefore we'll take, and again, no, no disrespect, Maggie, but we, we could, I guess, maybe rise to the, I guess, embarrassment or awkwardness or whatever a lot faster because of that. So, yeah, look, it, yeah. it, is, it is a difficult balance and I don't think there's a right or wrong solution. I mean, random members of the public, I suppose, are one thing, and you can do your best, although it takes a lot of emotional Whatever. intelligence yep. or something to, to shrug that off. And I think I may have told the story in another episode of the podcast, but to me, something that is worth making a noise about is people who have that attitude with whom your children have an ongoing relationship. And I had a situation where I walked with my guide dog in tow. I, I walked my little daughter to a kindergarten function for dads called Bangers and Beer, and they decided to put a whole lot Fantastic. of sausage, uh, sausage <laughs> sizzle. And the next one's on. I'll come, I'll come along. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I walked along and got my sausages and my can of beer because I drank in those days. And um, and uh, so I, 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 I'd taken um, Heidi all the way out there and got her safely to the to the venue and everything. And the and we were just sitting there. Heidi was showing me her work that she'd done her paintings and things and it was great and then the the kindergarten teacher just came up out of the blue and said to Heidi you're doing such a good job looking after your daddy aren't you now because it was the kindergarten teacher in that instance I felt it was appropriate to take it further I didn't want to spoil Heidi's night so Mm. I think I said something similar to you Maggie you know we look after each other don't we darling but I did make an appointment in that case with the kindergarten teacher and I said to her let me make it very clear that a four-year-old as she was does not look after a competent adult who happens to be her father and that if I ever get wind of you inculcating this myth into her again then she'll be withdrawn from the kindergarten and she said thank yeah. you I appreciate you bringing it to my attention and that was the last problem that we had yeah, yeah. and that's the thing it's talking it out and being reasonable about it problem is I think Maggie you were obviously a very stressful situation right you don't know where you are yeah, well, I so, was. Re- yeah, I was. I was really scared and trying not to show it to him, which yeah. was really difficult, you know, because exactly. you don't it's want the three-year-old la- to pick up on it. And this is this is our daily challenge. This is our daily lives. You know, we we, we get things layered upon layer, and uh, you know, people take it the wrong way, or we you know, <laughs> we miss yeah. signals and things like that. So it's just it's just who we are and what we have to work with. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you had similar problems in this regard, Erica? Yes, um, quite often, as a matter of fact, people are constantly, if me and my daughter are out alone, oh, you take such good care of your mom, and I'm like, does she really? Or, I mean, of course we take care of each other, but how how do you expect her? She's like five or something. What yeah. is she doing to take care of me? That's absolutely true. Can I just also say that, you know, we don't want to be undermined as parents. And so when I guess... They're saying, oh, you're doing a great job helping your daddy out and I'll help your mummy out. You know, I think there's there's an element of naivety and innocence that is great because kids want to be big kids 
when, especially when they're little right. kids. Yep. But also, we we're again our sensitivity meter, sensor meter, or whatever you want to call it, is just we're very alert, right? Particularly in crowd situations, because we don't want to embarrass ourselves, don't want to embarrass the kid, don't want to embarrass, you know, uh, what have you. So we, things are just so much more heightened um, mm. that. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it's quite remarkable. I mean, we know parents who have got kids with, you know, type 1 diabetes and things like that, and they're extraordinarily sensitive to the point that it's just it's a relationship destructor with other friends and uh, and so on. So it's and it, and it's just they're working through it. They've got busy lives. They're working through it, and, and off they go. So, yeah, I think we just got to look at it from a, as holistic as we can, situational, which perhaps, you know, when it is stressful, when it's potentially embarrassing, but we don't want to be undermined because we're the parents. We brought these kids in. It's our, it's our sole responsibility to protect and nurture and what have you with these yeah. kids. But, um, yeah, I think we, we just got to, uh, with all due respect to everyone, and, and I'm included, we just need to sometimes take a chill, chill pill and just say, it's okay. Right. You know, Easier right. said than done, though, isn't it, when you're yeah. – yeah. <laughs> When they're all faced for- with it because you're – but I try to keep in mind that, okay, these most of these people that are famous, they're not trying to be mean or hurtful. You That's know, right. So I try to keep that in mind as well. Yeah, they do. They mean well, but they're just going about They really do. Just wrong yeah. That is yeah, the wrong to thing to say. Yeah, but the reason it's important, I think, is twofold. One, that you don't want your parental authority undermined where your child is concerned. But the other is you've got to make sure your child has a childhood and that they don't feel a sense yeah, of responsibility absolutely. for you. Agreed. You know, uh, um, it, the flip side of this is that um, there have been times when my kids have been really excited about having a blind dad, especially when they were at primary yeah. school and they would come home and they'd say, well, we're doing blind people this week, dad. We're doing blind people. <laughs> we we want to bring you along as a kind of exhibit. And I would go and read uh, a Braille yeah. book and tell a story and answer all the kids' questions and stuff like that. And even my 16-year-old who's now – a prefect at his high school, he was doing wow. very well. He got into a discussion with a whole bunch of kids quite recently, and I was sitting here in the studio doing some production work, and my cell phone rings, and it's my son. Now, when you when your son calls you from school at say ten thirty in the morning, you think, oh my goodness, what has he done? You know what's <laughs> what's going yeah, yeah. on? Uh, and he called me from the. Um, from the play, I guess they don't call it a playground at high school, do they? But he called me from outside with a whole bunch of kids there, and he said, "I've got these kids here. We've been talking about blind people, and they don't believe that I've got a blind dad. So I'm calling you on FaceTime to show them that I've got a blind dad." And um, <laughs> they've got the so so for him, it was kind of like a badge of honor, and he wanted to call to confirm, "Yes, I really yeah. do have a blind dad." I also had a situation yeah. where I, I learned my oldest daughter; uh, she just thought that. It, it, everybody's dad's read Braille and everybody's mum's yep. read print. Mm. Yeah, that yep. was just normal for her. When Neil was in year eight, they were doing um, stuff in science about light and, and refraction. And, and it said in this book that blind people only see black. Well, my son pipes mm. up and he says, um, that's not true. He said, my mum's blind and she doesn't see black because I don't. I used to see colour, right. and now, now to me, it's just this grey. It's never black. It's always this sort of grey light. Black. Yeah, Thank and you. so he I piped up and said this, and the next thing, I'm invited into the class to give a talk. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, the first time he did a thing like that was when he was six, and it was the end of year Christmas party, and he, I arrived at the school, and he was allowed to come up to the office to meet me, 
And we walked back down to his class and we walked in and he goes, oh, Mrs. Greenhouch, can I say something about my mum? And of course he says, this is my mum and she's blind. <laughs> like, <laughs> part of me was really embarrassed. Part of me was really proud of the way he dealt with it. Mm. Um, yeah. And then of course we, we, did, we did some blind activities at Scouts. And what, one year, Neil, we set up a, a um, four different stations for each, for smell, taste, um, touch, and then we did hearing, we did that outside, we did different things and they had to identify the sounds and it was a really good night. That that particular year was really, the kids absolutely loved it um, because they had to be blindfolded for everything, you know, to, so they could actually use their other senses and it was, yeah, it, that went really well and that was actually was, Neil's brainchild. I imagine that the internet has made a big difference when it comes to things like homework because in the past accessible material was hard to come by. Now if there's a major homework problem that the children bring home, you can Google it, you can search on Wikipedia, there are many other resources and you can be a real part Mm. of the homework process in a way that wasn't possible for previous generations Mm. of blind parents. Yeah, that's true. I definitely agree. Yeah. When when Neil first started school, um, I was sort of all the what am I going to do about homework? And what they did that school, um, his primary school had a buddy system, and the lady that used to take Neil to school with her kids, she um one of her daughters became Neil's buddy, and she used to pop in at night and help him with his reading, even though I had the braille there as well, and with handwriting because handwriting I couldn't see or printing he couldn't mm. I couldn't see what he was doing, so you know and, and she loved it and she was so so good. I thought, well, I should make a really good teacher. Um, but yeah, uh, his primary school, they were really um, supportive. Newsletters were sent home on to me, to me on floppy disk until I got emailed and then they were emailed to me. Um, Neil was having to have eye drops to keep eye pressure stable. And until he was able to do that himself, the school used to do help with his morning drops. Um, and yeah, I was, I, yeah, I couldn't have had a better school for support actually. It was brilliant. And that again comes back to what it's teamwork, right? It's it's, it's, it it's is. A, good, yeah. a great community is one that works with everyone with all the issues and whatever. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. you know when you when you strike that right balance, it's fantastic. I'd be interested to see what that uh, girl, that buddy uh, of Neil's, is doing now, Maggie. I'm uh, I'm not sure what she's doing now, but yeah, she she was just you know she's such a natural, you know, yeah, when he was natural trying to, That's really because. Yeah. Neil's handwriting is actually really, really bad because of the nystagmus. Um, I remember putting my hand on his head one night and I could actually feel, I said, your head is shaking. He said, yeah, because I'm trying to keep focused on, because the eye was wobbling so much. He was wobbling his head, trying to counteract it, you know. And um, it was good when he got a laptop for school when he was in high school. He was, it took a lot of stress off him. As we head towards the conclusion, I want to talk about support and resources that are available for people who may be considering becoming parents. I think it's quite beautifully karmic or something that the last episode of the podcast was on sex education, and now we're talking about being a parent. So okay, one follows naturally from the other, doesn't it? Um, there are a couple of resources here. And Erica, can I start with you? You were talking about how you, along with somebody that you met, have formed this Blind Parenting Alliance. That sounds like quite a successful group that you have up and running on Facebook there. Yes, we have. over. Um, as a matter of fact, I was just on the group before you called, and there's now um, 
1,109 members, and they're um, international members. So we have people in Australia, in New Zealand. We have members in the Netherlands, South Africa, and everyone comes together and provides support um, to one another, answer questions, answer those questions that we all might have as blind parents. Um, There are people of all ages. We have people who are grandparents, and we also have sighted um, people as well who provide support to visually impaired individuals or who might um, be family members to a blind parent. So it's a huge community. Yeah, it's a huge community. It's pretty, very successful. It started in 2012, and we are constantly growing and trying to um where our goal is to become um a nonprofit agency so that's the goal for this year what will you do if that eventuates what will that facilitate i mean i think i want to like i said for the the mission of it is like to advocate support and empower blind parents um and so i want to want to i guess incorporate supporting as well as, you know, just being a resource for blind parents. Um, maybe provide some pod, put like a on the website some podcasts of ways different ways of doing things. Um maybe even I mean not right now of course, but in the future provide some classes um because they're like i said I, one of my things was how to change my daughter how to give her a bath how to how to feed the feed the baby you know without making a huge mess and so we could pr- maybe provide a couple of seminars and um and i think one of the other things we wanted to do was do like a a conference type of thing where we can kind of get together and meet up in one central place um and so we have a lot of different things that we're, you know, wanting to do. Um, I guess the first step is the becoming a nonprofit, though. How do you join the Facebook group? Um, well, it's Blind Parent Alliance. And so if you go on Facebook and search for it, there's a group as well as a page that you can like. The page is not um, very active at the moment, but the group is very much active. So if you request to join myself or Brandy will accept you into the group. That's a really cool idea. So what do you do? It's mainly a discussion forum at the moment, right, where people just sort of compare notes and support one another. Yes. Um, But we've we've done things to support each other. Um, So, like, there's a situation, there was a situation where someone who was an expected parent had their child prematurely, and hadn't had a chance to have like um, a, a shower, I guess, for the child. And we kind of raised money and did a big gift card from BPA for them. I mean, so we've done other things other than, I mean, we have um, a phone conference, like a conference call on Saturday nights and on Thursday evenings. It's more formal. And so, yeah, we, we're just, just, Working to become, you know, this big organization. That's my goal. That was always something I wanted to do. What a great idea. And you also, I think, have provided some advocacy or support, moral support at least, for 
situations where, and this does seem to happen from time to time in the United States, and if it happened to me, I don't think I could survive it, but but there have been situations where perfectly competent blind parents have had their children, well, we could use confiscated, I would say kidnapped, by the state, merely yes. because of blindness. And I presume you're providing some support there. Yeah, so we're putting people, um, there are tons of people in the group who have been been faced with like social services or um some sort of state issue and they know who to contact and so um we just give the resources that we have put them in contact with different lawyers who can deal with the situations or put them in you know in contact with people um who could help them out of the situation I, you know so um i do have a uh, a friend that is in the group who had her child taken away from her. She, um, Blind Parent Alliance wasn't around when it happened. I wish we had it been, but, um, so we, we typically can call on her to provide that support, um, to a parent who is being faced with that situation today. So it's kind of like a networking, um, a mentoring and we, we do a little bit of everything, And way back when, about 17 years ago on Blind Line, I remember talking to Amy Rule, who was a big part of the Blind Parents email list. And that is still going. You're a part of that email list, right, Maggie? So that's another option. Yeah, I am. I joined that list in 2001 when Neil was first starting school. And it was when I got my first computer. And someone told me about this list. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's for me. And back then it was on Topica. It had been on Yahoo Groups. Went to Topica, um, and then of course Topica started sticking ads all through the the emails, and it just made it really awkward. So we moved to Coolists, I think it was, and different <laughs> places. Went back to Yahoo. You guys have been was, around. Oh yeah, we have, and now we're with Groups dot Groups.io. Um, and we like it because it's the the interface. For my, I'm on, I'm not the owner of the list. Paula Page in England is now. And um, we've had several owners over the years as well. I'm a moderator on the list. And it's not as big as it was because I think a lot of people went over to the Facebook, um, possibly Brown Parent Alliance, um, which is fine. <laughs> but there are there are a few of us. I do Facebook, but I'm not really into the Facebook groups. I'm not against them, but it's just, just not for me. And that's what the list is really sort of still for is for anyone. Well, they can be on the Facebook one too, but it's there for people who don't really want to do Facebook or don't do Facebook at all. So we've got one lady who's a grandma and we've got others who, like me, have got grown-up children now. We don't have many with oh, – one lady's had a baby last year, I think, or early this year. So, you know, it's a bit of a mixed bag. It's not a very busy list anymore. It used to be quite busy. Um, but I think it's great to have the email list. It's great to have Facebook so that people have got all these different okay. channels. Yeah. And our list isn't very busy now. Um, so if anyone – I can, you know, um, give subscription info if anyone wants that. That will be really useful. Um, okay, yeah. it's blind-parenting plus subscribe at groups.io. Okay. So blind-parenting plus subscribe at groups.io. At groups.io, yeah. Truly tremendous. And I will add you to the, to the list, yeah. Um, but I think I think is it is that a really plus? Good. Is that a plus sign or the word? Plus? Yeah, the plus sign. Yeah, the plus sign. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, but I think it's great, you know, to have one or both 
of these things at your tips, you know, your fingertips because, you know, I mean, sometimes we just add the list because it's not busy occasion. We chat about other things, but a lot of it is, you know, it's just great to share like, hey, my son's just turned 21. I mean, it's a goal. It's a, it's a milestone and it's, you know, years and years ago, I never, you know, I wondered what it would be like when we hit there, you know, um, and we have, and, and I'm very proud of him and he's, you know, he's done very well. Um, thinking about leaving home, which feels a bit strange, but it happens. It is strange. <laughs> well, you are all wonderful parents, and not only do I appreciate how generous you've been with your time, but also how candid you've been with your reflections and your answers. So I want to say thank you for being a part of a really interesting discussion. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you for giving us the chance. Yeah, thank you, John. It's great that we can we can talk it out because it, it, that's part of our process too. So it's important to us. So thank you. Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting. On the web at mosin.org.